Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, good morning. Thank you, team. Thank you, Chong. Good, good truth. And all the earth will shout his praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. So we're going to, it's been a while, but we're going to go back to Romans today. Romans chapter 8. So I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible next to you. Grab your phone with an app. Romans 8. I really encourage you to to follow along in the word as as I'm speaking today. Romans 8. It is good to be together. This, This is not the culmination of church. This is the gathering of the church. This is what we do on Sundays as a church. We gather. And it is a blessing. It is good to be together. Uh, before we get into Romans 8, I had a couple, a couple things I wanted to highlight real quick. Um, one is uh, we've been reading the creeds during worship. That's kind of become a regular thing for us. Um, and, I, and I think that's a really good and healthy thing for our church to have a consistent um, just confession of the truth in our services. Uh, but, but I want to make it, we wanna, we've been talking as a staff, and uh, I want to make it a little bit more diverse. And, and one thing that's kind of been in the back of my mind for years, and, and, and Debbie brought it up again, was this idea of, of testimonies here in our church. That as we gather, we're missing out on so much richness if it's just me and Daryl or Chong or Jeremy that, that gets to share, that gets to speak, because God is working in your lives, right? And it's okay if you're like, I don't know, is God working in my life? That, that's okay, that's okay, but, but I know he is, because I see it. I see it in our small group yesterday, Saturday. I, 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 I hear it when I talk to you guys. God is doing things in your lives, and I would love to ask you to pray about sharing what God has been doing in your life, or maybe what he did in your life at a, in a season of time in the past. Um, but to be able to, on a consistent, regular basis, capture and articulate what God is doing in your life, what he's showing you, what he's teaching you, how he's humbling you, how you're understanding his love more, that is powerful. That is powerful. And so during our regular worship time, I'd love for us to have a moment where we can, for three to five minutes, hear from one, one person, maybe, you know, once a month or something. And so uh, if, you, if something's going on in your life or you just feel like, man, this week, the Lord, I saw the Lord do this really awesome thing and I just want to testify to it. Because it's not about, you know, here's how good I'm doing in my life. Here's how I'm getting it. It's about, look what God is doing and, and testifying before each other. This is what the Lord is doing in my life. Um, so I'd love, uh, and it'll probably be something where we write it out. I'd ask you to write it out, maybe three to five minutes, um, just, to, just to keep it condensed and, um, and we can kind of talk over it together. But I'd want to encourage you, don't leave this to someone else. Be waiting and be waiting for the Lord to show you, oh, I could, I could testify about this. Be courageous. This is a family. We don't need this silliness of, oh, I don't want to talk in front of people. We, yay, be courageous. It's your family, and I know that's a hump. It's like, it's easy for you, Hunter. Well, maybe, <laughs> but, but that doesn't mean it's not good for you. 
That doesn't mean it's not good for you and the church. And so if it's a sacrifice for you, you're sacrificing to serve your, your body, your, your family here. And then the next thing is just, uh, just, just want to remind you that there's ministries here on Sunday morning that we need just volunteers. Uh, this is probably the base level, most practical way that you can serve one another is by volunteering in the media booth, in greeters, in coffee shop, kids especially. That's a little bit more specific on who can be a part of that, but if you fit the, the description that is needed, Kidsville definitely needs volunteers. Right now we're running every other week because um, my hope is that if you volunteer in Kidsville, you only have to serve once a month. That way you're not missing a bunch of gatherings here um, in, in the service. Um, and so in order to do that, we need a good host of people helping out back there. Um, so I'd love to just invite you to pray about that and consider what, how the Lord would have you serve this body here. Um, and uh, you can talk to me or just, just pray on that and let me know what, how the Lord leads you. Okay, that's my reminder. Move on, Hunter. Skylar is going to read our passage today. Skylar, if you want to come up, is she here? Oh, you're right here in the front. Hey, I'm like looking at your mom back there. Come on up. Come on up. Let's welcome her. It's all ready to go for you. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 26. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope. That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who, ho because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do, not we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Awesome, thank you, Skylar. Thank you very much. <clears throat> My message title today is The Good News Just Gets Better, and this is part one of, I'm not sure how many parts we're going to have to this, um, because there is a lot of good news at the end of Romans 8. And uh, over this past year, we've been loosely kind of coming back to Romans again and again, and just kind of slowly treading our way through, and here we are in the latter half of chapter 8. We've talked about, Paul has explained to this church in the city of Rome 2,000-ish um, years ago, the gospel of what Jesus has done for us and what it means for us, that we are guilty, that we have nothing to stand on before God, that in our sin we are all condemned, and yet God loves us, and so he sent his son into the world who lived perfectly in dependence upon his father, perfect obedience, perfect submission. And then he, it says in Romans 5, that he was made, he he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God. And Paul describes that, that we are now, when we believe in Jesus, we are made 
the righteousness of God. That is extraordinary. And so starting with chapter 5, Paul begins to explain, hey, this is, what does that mean for our lives now? How do we live now that that's the case, that we're made new, that we're born again, that we are made righteous? What do our lives look like? How do we deal with sin? And we talked about that in Romans chapter 7. And so here we are, Paul's touching on suffering. And uh, I want to look at verses 16 and 17, the two verses just before this. But before we get there, here's the main idea today, okay? That the gospel and the glory that is coming for us injects hope in, not is, forgot to fix that, injects hope in our every hardship and releases us from the bondage of this world's values and pursuits. I'm going to read that again. The gospel and the glory that is coming for us injects hope in our every hardship and releases us from the bondage of this world's values and pursuits. We need to let go of our hesitations and arguments and temporary concerns concerns that seem so overwhelming and ultimate. And when I say seem, my intention today is not to make your troubles small. Death of a loved one is not a small thing in any aspect. And so I understand deeply when I refer to suffering what that represents and the heaviness that comes with it. But what Paul is doing today is he's not minimizing our suffering. He is opening the door and he's saying, well, you've just got to see this. He's like, I know you've been through some stuff. I know you're going through some things, but, but, but let's look, let's get a glimpse inside this door and you're not going to believe what's on the other side. But you need to see a glimpse of it. You need to believe it. You need to meditate on it. And so I want to meditate today, church. And we need to simply believe what God is saying to us today. We don't even have the ability to control our own lives. Some of you still don't believe that. Sometimes I don't believe that. Let us humble ourselves today and trust that our loving Father is tending to the countless needs and concerns we have. He is. He sees it all. He's holding it all. This situation that you've just got to figure out, this work that you've just got to get done, this situation, you know, that you don't even know what to do with, God's tending to it all. He's not calling you to deal with or face any of that right now, not for these next 30 minutes. We are going to look at something ultimate today. What that means is it's something higher and more important, more real than everything else. That's what that means. That's what we're looking at today. That's what we're dealing with. It's easy to hear the word, word today and put it in a nice religious box of sentiment and comfort. It is another thing entirely to give the word permission to supersede everything in your life, in your thoughts and desires. But that is the faith that the Spirit gives us today. He is present here with us and God empowers us to trust Him. What God has to say to us today is not disappointing, it's not restricting, and it's not controlling. The heart and desires of our Father for us today surpass our best desires, our highest ideals, and our most exciting imaginations for pleasure, joy, peace, 
and purpose. The comforts that we desire are much smaller than the comforts God desires to give us. Are you open to receiving them today? Can you make a choice to trust God, here's the, here's the catch, without reservation, just for the next 30 minutes? Not the rest of today or the rest of your life, just these next 30 minutes. Without faith, the word will profit us little today. So when we're singing, let faith rise up, oh heart, believe. Let's start by believing God answered that prayer and that he has given us faith to trust him. So I want, I want to invite you, I know we just sat down, but I want to invite you to stand again. Um, just stand again. And I'm going to pray, but, but I want you to pray for yourselves and I want you to pray for me. That God would use me. That God would open hearts in here today. So would you lift your voice here in the quietness of your heart. Just begin to pray. Begin to pray in here today. Father, thank you for the Spirit. Thank you that there's rest today. It is not up to us. We just trust you. We just give over to you our ears, our heart, our concerns, our hesitations, our fears, our anger, our unforgiveness, our bitterness. Even if we pick it up later, Lord, we're just going to surrender it right now for at least these next 30 minutes just going to trust you. Lord, open before our sight what you're trying to show us here, this window into glory that our flesh cannot handle. So may we hear and see with the Spirit today. Oh, in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Thank you, church. Go ahead and be seated. So let's go to verses 16 and 17 real quick. This is a little bit of context for our passage today. Are you awake? Are you with me? Okay. I notice I'm feeling like I'm saying everything on the same frequency, so I'll try to get a little bit loud here in a minute. The Spirit himself, verse 16, testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now there's this word, if. Indeed, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Heirs of God, we don't have to wait until God dies to get our inheritance. We are going to inherit everything that belongs to God with him. We will reign with him. Begin to meditate on this, okay? Because this is not very real to us. What's real to us is bills, the car breaking down, the struggle in our marriage, the struggle at work. That's what's real to us. But this morning, the Spirit is here. God is here, and He is encountering us with something that's more real. That's where faith comes in. We will inherit everything. We will reign with God. We will, and we are co-heirs with Christ. What Jesus gets, we get the glory of God, if we suffer with him so that we may, be, we may also be glorified with him. 
You see, the flesh doesn't value being glorified with Jesus. The flesh doesn't value being heir of God because the flesh will not be in eternity. And we've been talking about the flesh versus the spirit in our discussion of Romans. And so the flesh, what do I mean? The flesh is this earthly part of us. It's not simply just our body. It is the part of us that desires everything here and now and temporary. That is our flesh. And your flesh doesn't care about eternity. It doesn't care about these promises because it's not going to be there. Our flesh could not endure the glory we're going to discuss today. It would, I couldn't think of the word this week, so if anyone thinks of a great work for like decimate, disintegrate, like another synonym for me, throw it out there. That's what, what's that? Annihilate, right? Yeah. That's what would happen to our flesh if it was exposed to the glory of God. We have, a, we have to have a new body. Paul says in Corinthians that this mortal must put on immortality. This corruptible body must be made incorruptible. We could not endure raw beauty, love, life, joy, rest. We couldn't even endure these things. We just get the slightest glimpse here on earth on a good day. The slightest taste. So our flesh doesn't, doesn't value this. It is the spirit that resonates and says, yes, I yearn, I desire this. So let's go to verse 18 now. What Paul says to us. Oh, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified. Did I? Okay, I'll, we'll get to that. Paul says this in verse 18. Okay, let's go to the next verse. For I consider that the sufferings, he just said we need to suffer, but then he says this. Those sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. We may or may not spend the rest of the day on this verse now that I think about it. For I consider the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So what, what is glory? I, I ask this a lot because it's good for us to rehearse it and, and, and remember again. What is glory? Because it's why we live. We're living for the glory of God. What is glory? A simple definition, this is not a perfect definition, but to give us something to work with. Something to grab onto. Glory is everything your heart yearns for. What does your heart yearn for? My heart yearns for perfect rest, perfect peace. And I'm not just saying that because we all know it. I mean, we all know it because it's all true. The absence of pain. But yet, I want there to be strength, I want there to be power present. I don't want to just, you know. There's, you know, nothing, nothing, no opposition. Like, I want power. Like, like, my heart yearns for these things, even imperfectly. But glory is everything our heart yearns for maxed out. It is the perfection of everything good. It is really, it's the revelation of God himself. Because he is all of those things in himself. Those are not qualities that are outside of God. That, that he aligns with. They are qualities that reflect who he is in himself, what makes up the being of God. He is the summation of glory. Now, in verse 17, Paul says, if we suffer with Jesus, if we allow our flesh to endure pain as Jesus did, and endure that pain, that obedience to him will cost us, then we will be glorified with him. Now, this statement, hear me, 
This statement is within the gospel we believe, meaning it does not stand alone. Okay, just like the just like the statement, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. That statement cannot stand alone. It stands within the context of the gospel. Does that make a little bit of sense? That the gospel gives us understanding of what it means. When we trusted Christ, when we believed in Jesus, when we were saved, when we were born again, suffering is what we signed up for. It was in the deal. We signed up to suffer with him and be glorified with him. And Jesus suffered first, suffered for us, and suffered worse than we will ever because he, has, he was forsaken by his father on the cross and he was punished for our sin. We will never have to endure that as his children. But Paul says, look, I consider that this suffering that we're going through in light of what is coming for us, and I would say suffering, it's, it's pretty inclusive, right? It doesn't just mean the, the un, injustice that's done to you. It means also the suffering of your own sin, of battling against your own sin and temptation. The suffering of the, the, the horrible things you've done that have, that have wounded relationships. All of it. And the horrible things that have been done to you. All of it. All of that suffering, Paul says, is not worth comparing to the glory. Not because, oh, your suffering is so little, get over it. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul was well acquainted with suffering. He's not saying you just need to be as strong as me. He's just saying, no, I've seen something and it just, it's still, it's blowing me away every day and I can't wait to be with Jesus. I cannot wait to be with Jesus. Meditate on this. Paul does not say when you weigh suffering with the glory, the glory is far greater. That is not what he's saying. He's not saying when you measure suffering and the glory to come, this is better. So hold on. That's not what he's saying, guys. That would be good news enough. That would be good enough. The, the cessation of, peace, of, of pain is relief in itself, is it not? When pain ends, it's like, okay, whew, relief. That's not what we're waiting for. We are waiting for new life. Paul's going to use the illustration. I'm jumping ahead. Paul's going to use this illustration of labor and childbirth. The, the purpose and the joy and the reason we go through such a thing, not me, right, is not just to, to, to reach an end of that pain. But there is a joy waiting there's a joy waiting at the end of the pain. There's new life. There's a child. And Paul, that's the, that's the imagery Paul uses to describe this world and what we're going through. Think for a minute. We just had the Super Bowl, right? And the, the Chiefs won. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'm a Chargers fan, so I shouldn't care about the Chiefs. But I know Jake, so I care about the Chiefs now. And we were over at his house. Those players, every single one of them, I don't care how much money they make, they suffered to get where they are. However amount of suffering, I don't know. But the pain of training their body so hard, the injuries that they had to recover from, the sacrifice in the, their diet, the, all these things. And then plus all the other normal sufferings that we all endure, they had to go through all of that to get to that point. 
And when, you know, they're tearing up with joy as the confetti falls, do you think they're thinking about all the pain? No, not because it doesn't exist. It's just, it's not, it's not here. It's like over there. And you're not seeing what's over there, right? You're only seeing what's here. And it, what do you hear them say? It's all worth it. We worked so hard to get here and we made it, right? We could look at that and we could compare. We could compare the suffering with the joy. That is not an accurate illustration of what Paul is telling us. More accurate, not even reaching, but more accurate is, is something like this. You know, if I said, um, John, uh, you and me, we're going to go dig a five-foot-deep hole and five-foot-wide. Okay, we're going to dig it out here in the little bit of dirt that we have. Um, and I'll, I'll reward you. Like, I'll pay you. We're going to do this thing together. Because God, I'm, I guess I got to be God here in this illustration. I could make John God, but whatever. Um, God invites us to labor with him, right? He's in it with us. So I didn't want to just tell John to go do it, because that's not what God does. He doesn't just tell us to go do things. He says, come with me. Come with me. When the disciples wanted to follow Jesus, he says, come and see. Come and see. He says, come follow me, right? So we go out there. It's going to take us, what do you think, half an hour? Yeah. Come on, man. We, we strong, John. But we're, we're, we're going to sweat, we're going to get dirty, and we're probably going to have blisters on our hand. I don't know. John may help handle a shovel more than I do, but we're going to probably have blisters. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering involved, right? But we're going to get it done. Half an hour, an hour, whatever, right? And afterwards, I say, okay, John, hey, thanks for helping me out. Um, I just transferred $200 billion to your bank account. That is the accurate response. Laughter. Because it doesn't make sense, does it? The suffering does not equal the reward at all in any scenario, in any world, right? 200 billion with a B, and that's just to give us a number to work with in our head. That's a little bit more accurate to what Paul's telling us. Do you realize that this, do you see why it's important to meditate on Scripture? Because we don't get this. We hear it and we think, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's good. But then we go to work on Monday. Then we have this tension in a relationship. And, and where is this? Whoo! It's just over there somewhere. It'll be nice one day. But right now it sucks and I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to let my mouth, you know, say something I'll regret. Do you see how this changes the way we live? If we meditate on this, if, we, if this is more real to us, if this is as real as Paul means it to be, as God means it to be, it, it changes everything about our perspective. It does. What happens, though, is that so many things happen. Right? We, we allow the perspective of the world to, to dictate more how we live than this. We see some of the things God says, and we're like, that's nice, but it doesn't really work here. Because this is how the world works, God. Just so you know, that's great, but, but this is how the world works. That's living by sight, church. That's living by sight. That's not living by faith. Faith lives a life that doesn't make sense. Faith lives a life of humility. 
that is going to get it wrong sometimes, but presses on all the same towards Jesus. Not a life that says, well, you know, this is going to be uncomfortable. This is going to, so I'll, I'll just do this. No. Verse 19. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. God's sons is God's children, okay? So don't get hung up on that. Ladies, you're included along with that, just like men are included in the, the bride of Christ, all right? God's sons is God's children. And notice this, that even when we aren't waiting, when we're totally ignorant to the promise of God, that we're living, just going through the motions in our day, the wind, the dirt under our feet, the trees, the water, it never stops waiting. Even when we're not, creation is waiting. Creation is waiting. Look at verse 20 and through 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. There it is, that labor, that labor imagery. It hurts. Creation is in labor about to give birth. That's our life. That's the world we've lived in for these past thousands of years. That's our world. It's groaning. It's groaning. Even in the the most peaceful stillness that we could enjoy here. There is a, there is a hint at, at least, a hint of anxiety, of angst, of sorrow, of grief, of emptiness. You cannot, you cannot escape the groaning. And you're not meant to. You're not meant to. This, this is what it is. And it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be like this, church. Have any of you across the street on the sidewalk, there is a dead black cat. Have any of you seen it when you pass? Yeah. Well, I walk to Panera a few times a week, and sometimes I'll jaywalk straight across the street and walk right past that cat, and I try not to look at it because it is a nasty mess, Right? not going to be too graphic with you. But you know, that right there is an illustration of what we're saying. That cat is lying dead on the road. And you know what it's saying? It's saying, I'm waiting for things to be made right. And now I'm a reminder to you, Hunter, that things aren't right. Me, sitting here dead and lifeless, decaying, waiting for the, you know, roadkill team to come pick me up, I am a reminder to you that things are not as they should be. No matter how well your life is going, things are not as they should be. Remember that, Hunter, you have a hope. Remember what you're hoping for. The earth groans, and the cat is dead, right? That's just a small little thing, right? Or this hurricane, or this earthquake in Turkey. The deep groanings. Verse 23. Not only that, 
but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, the, literally the first batch of the harvest, we already have that, that presence of God, the Spirit with us here and now. Though we can't see, we believe. I think it's Peter who says, though you don't see him, you love him, right? That's where we're at right now. Not only that, but we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And we'll touch on this a little bit more here at the end. But we join creation in the groaning, church. We are waiting. But here's the deal. Get this. We don't really like to think of our lives like this. We desire to be comfortable here. And in America, that's totally possible. That's totally possible. It's way easy to just numb out. Escape the groaning. Silence the groanings. The pain, the emptiness. Shut it up. Watch another series on Netflix. We don't want to groan. We want to escape groaning. That's the flesh. Flesh says, no, I'm good. Eternity's cool. One day, great. You know, that'll be great. But, you know, right now, let's just kill this groaning as much as we can. And, you know, let's see how good we can make it here. And that becomes our focus. Myself, this week, last week, I find myself talking to God. I'm just like, Lord, I find myself this morning starting the day, thinking ahead, trying to figure out how I'm going to make myself happy today. How I'm going to escape the groanings of, you know, life, the responsibilities, the, the fears, the worries, the, all of it. Like, how am I going to make myself happy? Where, how am I going to give my flesh relief? That's how I process my day. And as God's children, we get glimpses of eternity here on earth. We have the Spirit of God inside of us as the first fruits. We don't have to wait for the presence of God until we die or He returns. Is that not good news? The joy that we had in worshiping together, that I had just listening to your voices, singing these truths, come on, what a blessing. What a gift. What a treasure. Think of God giving us the Sabbath, where he says, hey, all this work and striving you're doing, just stop. Straight up. Just stop. But you know, this is going to fall apart or that's not going to get taken care of. He says, I'm with you. I'm your God. I actually care about your life. I care about you so much. I'm telling you to stop and take care of yourself and rest. So God gives us these little glimpses of eternity. The Sabbath, that one day a week where, where we get to experience some taste of the rest that's coming as we enjoy the Lord and trust Him with our lives. But what happens is we get deceived so easily by comforts and the pleasures of life, however beneficial they may be. We begin to see heaven and the glory of God and the new creation as these distant, intangible, one day somewhere in the future kind of things. And we start to love life here. And we grasp onto it. We begin to live for the flesh. We don't want to wait and groan. So we find whatever we can to numb the groaning inside. Notice what Jesus says. You know these words. Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Not may, will. 
lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. This doesn't mean we don't value the good things of this life, like, you know, the gifts of marriage, family, careers, financial success. You know, it's not that those things, we can't enjoy those and be thankful to God for them. But what happens is the flesh says yes, and it tries to squeeze out of those things as much fulfillment and satisfaction and glory as it can get. And that church, that is a total misunderstanding and, and, and a totally, that's, that's living in the flesh. Are you with me? Are you with me this morning? Are you hearing this? Is this edifying? A little bit? We don't try to squeeze life and meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction from the good things of this life. We give up on the pursuit that I don't pursue in my marriage with Rachel. I don't pursue my happiness. I don't pursue the ultimate vision of romance. I don't pursue those things as, as the world would define it, right? We watched Sleepless in Seattle. Tom Hanks, I don't know, it was a 90s movie, I think, or early thousands. Yeah, yeah, Laura, you know what I'm talking about. And the idea of romance in that movie is just, it is the ultimate thing. It is the ultimate thing. She has to, you know, give up everything and, you know, chance it on this guy because that's what's going to be it for her. And it's a cute movie if you see it in the right context, right? But that's just not us, church. It's not what we're chasing after. Sam, Nick, that's not what you're chasing after, right? I'm serious. This is a word in here today. This is not the way we live. We have something so much higher. When we give up trying to make our lives fulfilling, satisfying, and successful, what an absurd thing to say. Do you hear the absurdity of that? I said give up trying to make your life fulfilling. Give up trying to be successful. What? When we do that, and instead we trust God alone, right? Is this on the screens? I think this is on the screens, Ryan. Can you put this up here? And instead we trust God alone. That's hard. We're fine trusting God, but trusting God alone, that's another matter entirely. But when we do, we find him who is better than life itself because he is life. Everything flips upside down. And now you're living by faith. And our life, family, work, and marriage become truly meaningful because it's all God's now. We've given up pursuing them for the value in themselves. It's God's now. Our life is God's. Our marriage, our family, our work, our money. It's all God's now. Like really God's. Like he's actually really involved in our lives, really leading us. Like we're really trusting him. Like he's real. They become truly meaningful because it's all God's now and we are no longer pursuing our life because we've given it to God. Now we just enjoy what he brings as we love and obey him. I understand that's really idealistic, is it not? Because what it leaves out is the fact that you have a flesh indwelling sin, the enemy, Satan, and the world trying to keep you from that, okay? So I realize that that's idealistic, but it's beautiful all the same, and it's true all the same. That our lives, our lives, 
as we love God. We just love Him. Not because, oh, I love Him because I'm doing all these things. No, like, like it, it starts with, I do love Him. Like, I actually enjoy, and there's a fondness, and there's a richness, and there is an, an adoring of God, of Jesus. Okay, time to wrap this up. Verse 24, 25, last verses. Now, in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. This is basically Paul stating the obvious. Hope comes undone if you have what you hope for. Hope is a temporary thing. Hope will not be with us in heaven. Because everything we hope for will be there. So hope is for us now. Trust is for us now. Because what does the Bible say, right? Our faith will be turned to sight. We will see him as he is. Faith and hope, they're gone. They were great friends here on earth. They're no longer a thing because we have it all. And so Paul says, remember, when I say hope, this is what I'm talking about. It hurts right now. That's what I mean. You've got a hope. You've got a hope in Jesus. And if you're hoping in him, you're going to wait patiently. This is our life. Our life is eagerly waiting. With the peace of the Spirit, with the fruit of the Spirit, not an anxiety. It doesn't mean, okay, go live your life and be anxious or else you're in the flesh. No. Have the rest and joy and comfort and peace of the Spirit. But the flesh loves to create a counterfeit for that and says, hey, this looks, yeah, buy this. Buy this instead. You don't have to groan. The very definition of hope means we don't have it yet. We are not yet there. Verse 19, right, going back, it says we are God's children already. But we have not been fully revealed as God's children. We are waiting for glory. God has prepared us for glory. Verse 23, he already adopted us. We already saw that earlier in Romans 8. But that adoption has not been fully revealed. We are waiting for glory. Our bodies cannot endure glory. We talked about this earlier, right? We need a new body. And that's also in verse 23. If we look back real briefly, we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, but we're already adopted. It's the already but not yet. And we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. On the cross, Jesus already redeemed our spirit. He bought us back, right? He's going to buy this hunk of flesh back too. When it disintegrates and decays in the soil, that futility of creation where just there's death and decay and it's just all cycles, God's going to redeem this body. He's going to give us new bodies. We're not just going to be these ethereal cloud people in heaven. That, that this world will be made new. Everything will just be richer and sharper and colors will just come to life in ways we couldn't imagine and experiences and, and how good food tastes now will not compare to the taste of food with a renewed tongue and taste buds and all of it will be renewed. God's creation, what did he say? It is good. It is good. But it's been corrupted. It's going to be renewed again. It's going to be renewed again.
Paul's honest with us. We don't yet see it. So we hope and wait with patience. Some of you have been groaning and waiting a long time. And maybe that's not just years. Maybe that just means a lot of pain. Some of you, um, you've had a lot of patience. And so the takeaway today is don't stop now. Don't stop now. This is our takeaway today. Ryan, can we put this up? Don't be deceived by letting the pleasures or pain, either one, of life blind you to the glory Jesus is preparing for us. Our hopes for this life are not, like when we grow up, we just think, man, I said I was going to try to end at 1125 to the worship team, and it is 1143. I am a hopeless case. One day that will be renewed as well, guys. Thank you. Thank you for your patience and love. I don't know why I justify it up here when I'm doing it. I see the clock. It's not like I don't see it. When we're growing up, our hopes and dreams all consist of what am I going to achieve in this life, right? What kind of success, what kind of, you know, satisfaction, fulfillment am I going to get in this life? But Paul says you're, you're just, you're shooting way too low, way too low. It doesn't mean some of us are not going to go and make, you know, millions of dollars and be maybe super successful or good at something. By all means. By all means in the spirit. But it just means that's not the value. That's not the goal in itself. It's all just a tool. It's all just temporary. It's all, in, it's all a means to the glory of God, to the kingdom of God, to the salvation of souls to the discipling, to the sanctification, right? Sanctification wouldn't be very good in a movie. It just wouldn't be, I mean, nobody, it's just like, great, like you're suffering and, and, and your marriage is hard and, and you're, you know, you're trying to raise these kids and your job sucks and, you know, but God is with you and he's renewing you. Like that's what the movie would be, right? And the ending, if we wanted it to be amazing, it'd be like, okay, heaven, that's sanctification, guys. The joy of the Lord is in it with us. There's not, we're not going to achieve this ultimate thing in this life. We're just not. We're not. Because Paul's saying, look, it, it's waiting for us. This life is, is just, that's not where it's at. And so we live this life. Whether we live or die, we live for the Lord. Father, thank you for this time and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I, I pray you'd use this. Edify your people, Father. Reveal your glory to us. This is why meditation and reading the word is so powerful because it, it reminds us of what is true. It reminds us of what is more real than the suffering we're going through, than the situations we face day to day that you are in every situation, you're in every pain, you're in every joy with us there. And those things are just not an end to themselves, Lord. God, I just desire that we would be a people that really does live in light of eternity, and that's me included, Lord. I feel so far behind in my sanctification. 
but yet I rebuke that because there will always be further to go. And shame does not get to control us either. We just trust you here and now, Lord. And as we sing this next song, I pray that it would, it would really capture this message for us and it would allow us a voice to respond. If you're in here and, you know, maybe you're 80 years old, maybe you're eight years old. Kids that are in here, hear me, listen to me. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then, then all you have is the flesh. All you have is this life. And the glory of God means nothing to you. And, and the worthiness of Jesus and what he's done for you means nothing to you. But if you're feeling the spirit tug, if your desire to know Jesus, then humble yourself and call upon the name of the Lord. Say, Lord, save me from my sin. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. It's the simplicity of a child that just says, I believe, Lord, and now I'm gonna walk in that. Now I'm gonna just start living for you. I'm just gonna start living to understand your will for me and, and what does it mean to please you? What does it mean to live with you? What does it mean to, to talk with you? If you wanna give your life to the Lord, then do that today. And then talk to me, because I wanna know that and we're, we're, we're gonna get you baptized because baptism is that decision that says, hey, this is what I've done. I've been saved, I've given my life to the Lord. There's no pressure, but there's also no need to hesitate. If the Spirit's working in you, the whole idea is trusting Him. The whole idea is, yeah, it's a risk. <laughs> it's a risk. That's faith. I'll be in the resource table in the back if you wanna come talk to me, even during worship or after this service. I'd love nothing more than to, to explain this further and, and just to really help you have a confidence that Jesus is your Lord and, and you're ready to be baptized and you're ready to, to be born again. Come on, let's stand. Let's get ready to sing. Thank you so much, Jesus.